0: For his own possession, who are zealous for good works, declare these things, exhort and rebuke with all authority. Let no one disregard you. Father, we ask you to use these words as your people to strengthen us. We pray that you would be the center of it. We pray that you would uh, transform us through your word, Father, to live for you as your people, but also to be encouraged, Father, to know that it is your work in us. God, that you have saved us, you have shown your grace to us, you have revealed yourself to us through your son, Jesus Christ, and so we praise you for that. Teach us, rebuke us, encourage us, challenge us, convict us today, Father, as we hear your word in your name. Amen. Well, good morning. morning. Happy Memorial Day weekend. It is good to be back. Uh, we were on family vacation to the Black Hills, and uh, it was relaxing. It was uh, beautiful scenery. The pace of life is so wonderful because it's just going from, hey, let's hurry up to get to the next stoplight to what's going on today is how it feels. It's just such a different be able to get out of the cities. To, I, for me, and, and those of you who um, uh, maybe grew up on the plains, the plains have a beauty all of their own. You could see for hundreds of miles, um, and it is, is just, it's what I grew up in, and it's uh, it's such a joy. But it's so good to be back, so good to be with our church family. We missed you guys last week, um, and uh uh, glad that you didn't throw any tomatoes at Richard or anything, and um, heard that he did really well in sp- speaking the Word and the truth of God's Word, and so, and so uh, um, uh, it's good to be back. We're going to continue in Titus chapter 2. Uh, we're working through this. We've got about two weeks left. Um, June 12th, I'm trying to think in my head. 12th, I think it's June 12th, we are doing a baptism service. That'll be, I think, our last week actually in Titus. Um, And so if you sit over here, you're going to be kicked out. Sorry, because that's where the hot tub goes. And we're going to do a baptism service. Right now there's five baptisms that are happening, and so that's a a huge praise. Um, Pray for them. Pray for uh, uh, me that as, we, as I preach and as we talk about baptism, I make it clear as to what it's all about. Um, and, uh, and hopefully it will spur some people's hearts when they see the baptisms to obey Christ in baptism too. Uh, but we got about, counting this week, three weeks left in Titus. And then we're gonna jump into the book of Psalms. And we're gonna do, uh, throughout the summer, 12 different Psalms, um, one for each week, obviously. And we're gonna be jumping all over the place. So usually we go from... Psalm 1 to Psalm 150. No, we're not going to do that. Um, We're just going to jump around uh, to the different types of psalms. And uh, so I'm really looking forward to that. That'll be a challenge for me. I'm a math guy, not a poetry guy. You speak poetry to me other than where the sidewalk ends and I'm lost. Uh, So this will be really good and a good challenge for me too. Uh, But in Titus chapter 2, uh, just a little bit of background. Uh, Paul is writing Titus. Titus is on the island of Crete. He is organizing the churches that Paul has planted there. He is uh, commanding, commanding maybe it's probably the word. He is telling um, and encouraging Titus to appoint godly leaders, godly elders, men who will lead and teach the sound doctrine of God's trustworthy word. Those are, that's the words that he uses, um, so that they might be able not only to encourage spiritual growth in the people, but also to be able to recognize and rebuke false teachers, not just to be a jerk and tell them they're wrong, uh, but to point them in the right direction, these false teachers of the truth, and to point the people to the truth of God's Word. So sound, spiritually healthy teaching and preaching is founded upon the trustworthy Word of God, and it reveals eternal life and leads to transformed godly lives. That's why you appoint these godly leaders who are qualified um, we talked when we, when we went through that. We talked about um, uh, the church, that some churches, and the church that I grew up. in almost seemed like, "Are you breathing? You're qualified." That's not a good reason to have somebody become an elder. There are many qualifications when it comes to godly leadership. Now, on the other hand, shaky, spiritually healthy, unhealthy teaching is founded upon the desires of the flesh and the passions of the world and heart. And it leads to worldly lives and eternal death. And so the church has to have faithful elders who are, in chapter 1, verse 9, this is how Paul puts it, are able to give instruction in sound doctrine and also to rebuke those who contradict it. Because there are many within the church who are deceitful in their teachings, leading people away from eternal life for their own gain, for themselves. So in other words, eternal souls are at stake. And so we have to make sure that as a church that we have elders, teachers, and preachers who hold firm to the Word of God and to be a people who strive to live out that trusty trustworthy word that God reveals to us in this book. This is the foundation. This is the foundation of our understanding of who God is and what we teach. Now, there are some places in here there's differing opinions, but if we, for instance, allow our academics or our intelligence, our intellect, or our learning, or, hey, I've got five master's degrees in this part of the bible and bible teaching and all this and that that's great i'm sorry you're going to be paying off student loans for the next ten thousand years but that is not what makes trustworthy teaching simply it's like now it's good it's good it can help us to understand there were some aspects of my seminary education that really helped me to understand and grasp god's word better that's good that's right in fact, I continue every year, I go back and do a training on what it means to preach well, to be reminded, how do I do this? And, and the seriousness of this. But my intellect cannot determine what's true or not. On the other hand, the opposite end of the spectrum, my emotions cannot determine what's true or not. And, and if we just look at our lives On one day, okay, so we got home from an 11-hour drive on Thursday night. Thursday night was not the good time to make serious decisions about life. I was tired, I was cranky, I was irritated just because I'm exhausted. It's been a, a great week, but 11 hours in the car, I don't care who you are, that's not like this encouraging, emotionally relaxing time, especially when we got here right at rush hour doesn't work out that way. It's not good. So we cannot allow, and then the next day, it was great. Why? Because I got lots of sleep. I got to sleep in. I had nothing planned for the whole day, basically. I could do whatever I want. So emotionally, I was in a really good place to make good decisions. Now, emotions are good, just like intellect is good. Emotions are, can be right. They can be wrong, but they can be right, just like intellect can be Right, but our emotions and our intellect cannot be the foundation of our understanding of what the truth of God is. They will fail us. As the, the pastor, I was um, a student pastor on, under during my seminary education. I was frustrated with one of my professors because I'm like, I don't agree with him on this, the, this aspect of, of the Old Testament. I'm a first-year seminary student. He's been teaching for 40 years. Who am I to say anything? And I'm like, I I, I mean, how do I say anything? I mean, Is he right? Is he wrong? And he said, well, Mark, sometimes you can be too smart for your own good. And that's true. That is true at times. On the other hand, we can be so emotional that we miss the truth that's sitting right in front of us because our emotions are controlling us. We see this with children all the time, right? You go, why are you freaking out about this aspect of your life because you're not getting what you want right in this moment. You have to wait a half an hour. Let me logically talk to you about this. And you could see in their minds they're going, well, yeah, dad's right, but I don't really care because I am mad now. We see that, don't we? Well, let's, let's not belittle children because adults are the same way. We just have some more self-control to hide it, Right? So we can't allow those two extremes to control us. This is the word of God. It has not changed, and it will not change. This has stayed the same. Where society has changed, emotions have changed, intellect has changed, things have shifted. Now, we can grow in our understanding of this. We can grow in our emotional understanding even of this. But this is our foundation. So this is why we say Here at Elm Creek, we say if we read a passage of Scripture, and we're really uncomfortable with it, or we don't like it, we either don't understand what it's saying, which is a very real possibility, or we just don't like what it's saying. The problem is with us, not with Scripture, and so we need to strive to understand God's Word better. Why? Because eternal souls are at stake. Eternal lives are at stake. In our passage this morning, there is a reason that Paul gives, and God through Paul, for us being transformed by this word. He says it in the, pa- in the, in the verse before, context is important, right? Context, or a text without context, is a pretext for a proof text. Say that again, a text, a scripture, without the context of what's being said is a pretext for me to grab that scripture and say, make it say what I am comfortable with it saying. And so we need to look at the context in order to try to grasp, understand, okay, what is he actually saying? Now, in, in verses one through 10, he speaks to old men and old women and young women and young men, slaves and masters. He speaks of these different types of people that are within the church. And he says in verse 10, and it's a transformed life. That's what we talked about two weeks ago. He's saying no matter how old or young, man or woman, slave or free, you as a child of God by the power of Christ are transformed. You are different. You cannot help but be different. Now that process is sometimes really slow for people and sometimes it's really long lifelong. In fact, for all of us, it's lifelong, but some of it's quick. In verse 10, he talks about, he wants to show all good faith. Why? So that in everything, they, the slaves, but the old men, the old women, the young women, the young men, that they may adorn the doctrine of God, our Savior. In everything that we do, that the Word of God is spoken through our lives, not just by our lips, lips, but also by who we are, what we do. Our lives are transformed. And the reason why we are transformed is not because we've tried hard enough. It's not because we've studied hard enough. It's not because we've lived a perfect life. We who believe in Jesus Christ as our Savior are transformed because of what Christ did and what Christ is doing right now. So what did Christ do? Well, simply said, he appeared. <laughs> he showed up. And the word, this is John chapter 1, verse 14, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. The word, Jesus Christ, the Son of God, he willingly came down to earth from his glorious throne in heaven, and he dwelt among us he humbled himself to reveal the grace of god god's unmerited unearned favor towards those who believe there was nothing that we did as a human race to deserve the witness such a witness to witness such an appearing of the son of god and yet jesus still came. God wasn't up there saying, well, I want the human race to get to a certain point of holiness before I send you Jesus. No, He's like, go now. Now's the time. Humanity hasn't done anything. If anything, it's just grown worse and worse and worse and worse and worse as far as disobedience to me. But now is the time. Christ not only appeared, but He also gave Himself for us. As Christ told his disciples in Matthew chapter 20 verse 28, even as a son of man came not to be served but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. The significance of the giving of his life points to the Old Testament sacrifices. In the Old Testament, animals were to be sacrificed, their blood was to be shed upon the altar in order to pay the debt of the sin Uh, the one who, who sinned, disobeyed God, went against God's commands. So the animal paid the ransom that was due for sin so that the individual could live and worship before a holy God. Jesus willingly gave himself up for us. He shed his blood upon the cross. He died the death that we owed for our sins though he himself was sinless. This is why Christ is called the perfect Lamb of God. He is the sacrificial Lamb who paid the debt for us. His sacrifice redeemed us, bought us back from the power of lawlessness. That was That's in, in the passage we read this morning, Titus chapter 2. Lawlessness... Is the breaking of and the disobedience of the law of which uh, law of God, which describes every single one of us before we come to Christ, before we are saved, we are all lawless. We are law breakers. We are uh, we did what was right in the sight of our own eyes, but Christ then came to earth and He redeemed those who believe uh, who believe from all lawlessness. He transforms us to do what is right in the eyes of God. That's why we said at the beginning, transformation, you can't help but be transformed. You once were dead and now you're alive. You once were lawless and now, as he's gonna say here pretty quick, you're purified. This is a call for the individual believer in Jesus Christ Be reminded as a child of God, you are redeemed by the blood of the Lamb from every act of disobedience and rebellion against your God. There is not one sin, not one act of disobedience that the the grace of God and the blood of Jesus Christ does not cover. He forgives all of it once for all. It's not like Jesus has to be sacrificed over and over and over again because Mark screwed up way too many times this week. His one sacrifice was enough for all of it, all of my sin. And so we as a people, as individual people, we are redeemed, we are bought by the blood of the Lamb. But there's also a call to the people of God as a whole, to the church Christ sacrifice purified for himself, it says, a people for his own possession. He paid the ransom for our sins that we no longer belong to ourselves. We are not our own. We are his. We are a people of his own possession, a people who are zealous to do his good works. And these good works are more than just good things done to other people. They are works that differentiate the people of God from the people of the world. Now, we could do really good things. The question is, is do these good works differentiate us from the atheist down the street who does good works? As God's people, these good works that Paul is speaking of They reveal the godly transformation of his people. The characteristics laid out in Titus 2, verses 1 through 10, they point point to this, this transformation, meaning that true godliness, true good works cannot be done without being transformed or as verse 14 tells us, by being purified. We cannot purify ourselves. We cannot cleanse ourselves. We cannot make ourselves the people of God. Christ must do that for us. He purifies us. He cleanses us from our, un- cleanses us from our unrighteousness. Christ makes us a holy nation, to live godly transformed lives. And without His transforming work in us, we would remain lost. We would remain destined for not eternal life, but eternal death away from the presence of God. This is the importance of being sound in your doctrine, having this be the foundation of your understanding of faith in life as God's people. I could speak my truth to you all I want. Uh, Back, well, it's probably still popular now, but you remember Oprah, and she said, tell me your truth. What's your truth? What's your truth? I'll be honest with you, my truth is all about me, if I was honest with myself. I show myself more grace than I show the person who cut me off on the road the other day. I show more grace to my poor decisions. God, it was just a rough day, but not to my children or the people around me who make poor decisions that affect me. Like, how could you ever do that kind of, well, it's been a rough day. That is no excuse. My truth is all about me. God's truth is all about Him. And the weird thing, and maybe it's not so weird, is that when we rely upon our truth, it leads to nothing but discouragement. It leads to eventually eternal death. But God's truth, when we focus on Him and His truth and it brings glory to Him and our lives are transformed to bring glory to Him, something amazing happens. We find joy and we find the real truth which leads to eternal life. In Him. Christ appeared. Christ gave Himself for us. But He doesn't stop there. He didn't stop there. He didn't ascend into heaven to take a nap on a hammock, to sip a margarita. Can I say that? I mean, you get the idea. He's not a a God who is distant. I did my work. I'm retired. God, I'm done. Now, just as he was at work in the time of Titus and Paul, so he is at work today, 2,000 years later. He's active right in this moment, right now. He is working on hearts. Christ, the visible grace of God to his people. Did you notice that? Paul calls Jesus the grace, the grace of God. So Christ, the visible grace of God, brings salvation for all people. And again, the context helps us to understand that this all is not every single human being that's ever lived throughout all of history, but every type of person. He brings salvation for the old and the young, the men and the women, the slave and the master. Salvation is not for an elite class of people, but for all types of people. I am your pastor, and if you know me, I'm not more holy than you. Just because I have that title in front of my name does not make me suddenly perfect or all-knowing or, well, like some people say, well, Mark, well, maybe, maybe could you pray for this? I'd love to. The question is, is, do you think God hears my prayers more than you just because I've got the word pastor in front of my name? Or have I got a degree at the end of my name? Mm-mm, mm-mm. Salvation and holiness and purification is not for an elite class. It's for all people, all types of people. When that salvation is received, Christ doesn't leave us to our own devices. Interestingly enough, he says Christ trains us did you, did you see that? Let's, let's look at that again. For the grace, this is verse 11, for the grace of God has appeared bringing salvation for all people, so all types of people. It's not for an elite class. It's not just for Paul and Titus. It's for the lowly slave. It's for a woman, a man, a young, an old. All of these people What does he do, verse 12, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age. He trains us. Jesus Christ is training us right at this moment. Now, I'm walking a little slower today. Yesterday, I rode my bike for the first time for 34 miles. Where's Jason? he's just as sore. Although, not to boast, but you only did 23, right? Yeah, he's, he's back there. I only did 23. But either way, I mean, once you get to like 20, does it really matter? We're, we're doing something. We're doing this for a reason. Not because we're crazy. I mean, we are a little crazy, but we're doing this because on August 12th through 14th, Jason, myself, and a bunch of other riders are going to ride 200 miles on our bikes over three days to raise money for Village Creek Bible Camp, the camp that we Uh, support. Now, could one get on a bike and ride 200 miles without training? Absolutely. Yes, you could do it. Would it be enjoyable or safe? No, it would not. Why? Besides the obvious, you've got no muscles. Because training stretches, strengthens, and educates. Riding 20 to 30 miles on one ride— as crazy as it sounds, teaches how to conserve energy. It teaches how to ride on roads with cars that are driving past you at 40, sometimes 60 miles an hour. It teaches you what equipment you can use and then how to fix that equipment when it breaks because it will break. And it teaches you the proper way to sit on a small seat for hours at a time. But most of all, it strengthens muscles that are only used when you're riding a bike. You could run a marathon, hop on a bike, and you'll be weaker than weak because it's different muscles. You have to train. So training is important, even if it's painful, even if it's difficult. It takes time, but it is super important. If you really want to enjoy, in this case, riding 200 miles in three days. Now Christ is active in our lives right at this moment as his people, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions, those things which once controlled us and had power over us. He trains us to live transformed lives today, not tomorrow. When we were saved by Christ, it's not like we made it. Okay, we're saved. Yes, we are God's people. Nothing will change that, but it's not like suddenly we were the most godly, holy people. We didn't make it. If you think you've made it spiritually, you're way more immature spiritually than you would ever imagine. Because a truly spiritual, spiritually mature person realizes, man, I've got a long ways to go. I've got a long ways to go. And I pray that Christ never stops training me. From the moment we are saved by Christ to the day that we die or he comes again, he never stops training his people to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives. Not for tomorrow, but for today. For this present age, right now. And when he says this present age, what he means is the age between when Christ ascended into heaven and the day that he's coming again. Interestingly, it's not for eternity. Do you realize that? That's what this present age means. It's not for eternity, it's for this present age. But it's not only training us for godliness and godly lies. He's also training us to wait. How many times have I said in my own mind, or even out loud, come, Lord Jesus, come. Oh, oh, come, Lord Jesus, come. How I desire to see my great God and Savior coming in the clouds. Oh, what a beautiful sight that will be The day when I will be completely transformed and glorified in his presence. How awesome would it be for us right at this moment we're worshiping God together as his people and suddenly he appears. Man, that's gonna be a glorious day. It's gonna be an awesome day. It's gonna be a beautiful day. But until it comes... He will continue to train us to wait, it says, for our blessed hope. That hope is not a man, I sure hope he comes. It's a blessed expectation. I know Christ is coming again. Why? Because in his word he said, I am coming again. He will appear in glory. The appearance of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. Praise His name that Christ never stops training us as His possessions. When the bike, to, bike ride to camp is over, uh, many of those who rode won't get on a bike again to train until next spring. That's just the reality of it. I put my 200 miles in, I'm done. I'm gonna sit and relax and not kill myself anymore but as his people our training never ends he is always teaching he's always growing he's always transforming us as his people you say well how how does that happen well you just think practically you grow through prayer through praying to God, you're showing your reliance upon him. You're reminding yourself and that he's the one who answers those prayers and they need to give them to him. And so our prayer life is important. I think I've said this before. There are times where I'm in a bad mood and my wife turns to me. And she says, how's your prayer life? And I'm like, if you knew, you wouldn't ask because our prayer life is important. It trains us, strengthens us changes our reality of our mind to be focused on me to realize i gotta go to him with this whatever it may be small or big giving it to him reading reading his word just sitting down and reading it even casually and and enjoying the 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 narrative of what he did in genesis and how it's resolved in the book of revelation seeing the faithfulness of god's people studying it more in depth taking it verse by verse, word by word, pulling out another commentary, uh, commentary or, 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 or sitting together with God's people and studying it together in a Bible study or one-on-one. Maybe it's just submitting yourself to Christ at the beginning of the day, knowing that you're going to have a really hard day, and you just say, well, okay, whatever happens, God, it's yours, and I'm going to take it as it comes. I'm going to rely upon you to strengthen me to be able to do this. There's lots of things like that. coming to church regularly on Sunday morning to worship together with God's people. All of these things train us. They transform us, not in and of themselves, Remember I said intellect? You could read the Bible. I know a lot of people who, could, who can quote Bible verses to me, and yet they hate Jesus. They do not have faith in Christ. So those things in and of themselves are great, but it's not those things that save. When we do the baptism in a few weeks, the baptism being dunked underneath the water does nothing for you spiritually as far as like suddenly you've got the power of God within you. No, it's the act of obedience to Christ's command, be baptized. And that obedience, that's training. That's transformation. God, through his power, uses that to transform us. And he never stops transforming us. As his people, our training never ends whether it's a good day or a bad day, it never ends. He's always teaching, he's always growing, and he is always transforming us. You can sit back and go, okay, well, application. I think, how do I apply this to my life? I don't think it's as simple as making a checklist, making sure I'm doing this and doing that. That's good. It helps discipline and things like that. I think more as God's people for us to realize as his people the transforming power of God within us. If we are his, he is dwelling within us through the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is dwelling inside of us And he is constantly working on us. He's constantly pricking our hearts. He's constantly shining the light in those areas where we struggle or he's he's celebrating with us the the wins against the sin in our own hearts. He's constantly there training us, working us. And I think as God's people, we have to remember that. We get so caught up in the things of this world and we get caught up in, um, in ourselves, our own desires, our only hu- human fleshly passions that at times, even as God's people, we, it's like we go partially blind to the fact that we are not our own. We are His and He is working in us. Whether we have a good day or a bad day, God is always there he is never changing he is always present nothing will remove us from the love of christ nothing will remove us from the hand of god we are his we are adopted into his family and nothing can change that adoption nothing the bible describes it this way height or depth east to west big or small nothing in all of this world and i love that list see i'm trying to remember off top of my head but he paul gives this long list of height or depth east or west all these things and then just to make sure he says nor anything else that's in, in heaven or on earth nothing nothing will remove us from the love of christ nothing And so we can stand firm and confident as God's people that, okay, we're gonna have bad days, we're gonna have good days, but I am still a child of God and he is working in me, praise his holy name. Because if he's not working in me, I gotta be concerned then. Am I living for myself instead of for him? Now Christ. One of the ways you say, okay, well, application, how do we do this like in a service besides worshiping him and hearing the word preached? One of the things is communion. We are commanded by Christ to remember his sacrificial work for us. That work upon the cross in which he shed his blood to save us from our sins, that act purified us so that we through the power of the indwelling Holy Spirit, might be continually transformed day by day, hour by hour, minute by minute, moment by moment, to live out the godly lives that we are called to live out. By His power, by His grace, and not our own. There is nothing we did to deserve the sacrifice of Christ upon the cross. Nothing. And yet he willingly came to give his life as a ransom for us. Communion is a time for us as his people to remember that we are not our own. We were bought with a price. You know, you've heard it that salvation is free. It's a free gift, absolutely to us but just because something's a gift doesn't mean that it wasn't paid for. Somebody paid the price. Christ paid the price. We are His people, His own possession to be zealous for the good works which point others to Him. And so that's why when we take communion, is super important. We try to really emphasize every time this is for God's people, This is for those who are saved by grace through faith in Jesus Christ alone. You don't have to be perfect. You don't have to be a member of the church. You have to be a member of the family of God. You have to be a child, an adopted child of God whose life is being transformed from one moment to another. Because if you are not a child of God, this is just a ritual that hoping that through it that somehow you're going to receive the grace of God and that he's going to be happy with you because you were obedient to him. You now, as God's people, we've already earned, uh, we've already gotten his favor. We've already received his favor. We don't have to earn his favor by doing this. And yet if we take this not rightly, then we are in danger that God may punish us even by death, it says, "That's extreme, but he might take our lives, because we are blatantly disobeying and, and taking the communion table wrongly. And so we have to watch our hearts, we have to make sure we're doing this rightly for His glory, to remember what He did for us. If you're not a child of God, we ask you, refrain from taking this. With us because of the seriousness that, we t- w- that Christ gives it. We cannot truly understand the transforming power of God if we have never been saved by Him. And so when we take this, take the cup, take the bread, and we go back to our seats before we take it together as, as a whole family, we sit there and re- may we remember and be reminded of who Christ is and what he did for us and what he's doing to us as his people. So whenever you're ready, go ahead and make a line in the back, come back to your seat, and then we'll together take the cup and the bread for his glory and his greatness.